Oh, hi, everyone. Oh, this is going to be an interesting night. Hi, everybody. Are we okay? Great. Good. Oh, you know when you have your passcode on your iPad and you forget the code? I just remembered it, I think. I think we're okay. Oh, we're good. If you have a Bible, turn in that Bible to uh, Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes. Before we get into this um, wonderful passage, I just first want to say what a privilege it is to come. I'm from Portland. You guys know that it's 50 degrees there and raining right now? So, so there's that for you. Um, some of you are mad. Some of you, I, I love it. Uh, a couple things I want you to know. Um, first of all, it's a privilege to be here, but also uh, you have some really great uh, people, some great men that are leading you. Um, and just a reminder, as a pastor, and I get to say this because Casey and Lorenzo aren't here, pray for your pastors, pray for their families, pray for their capacity, pray for their their own walk with Jesus, pray for their marriage and their capacity to raise kids. Um, it's no joke. Like, ministry is no joke. And uh, as much as it is fun and exciting, it is also really challenging and very hard. And so um, I just want to remind you, encourage you by way of reminder, like Paul says, to pray for them and to pray for the teams and the volunteers here. So uh, we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So turn there. If you have a Bible that you're borrowing, uh, you can turn in page 320, I believe is where it is. So you can turn to that page right now. I'm going to read this and then we're going to pray. Sound good? Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 4, says this. And I saw all the toil and all achievement that springs from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless and chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to all his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is a meaningless, a miserable business. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We take a minute and we we ask you some pretty crazy, pretty audacious things. First, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would colonize our minds, that you would take over our minds and our processes and our thinking, and that you would help us think more like you, that you would help us hear you, you would even align us with what you want to speak to our lives, corporately as a church, But also individually, we know that we're a group of people, a group of individuals that make up a church. And so speak to us corporately, directly. Holy Spirit, we also ask that you would help us be honest with where we are at tonight. I just pray for those who are here uh, who maybe would have a hard time accepting where they're at and not being proud of it or excited. I pray that you would help us receive, help us listen, help us obey. And ultimately, Jesus, we pray for your your glory. We pray that tonight you would be edified, that you would be lifted up, that by the end of this night, we would actually leave and walk out those doors more in love with you, more clear on our understanding of what a gift that sacrifice on the cross really was and what that actually means for us and how that changes our life. So Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Do your work. Would it be powerful? Would it be prophetic? Would it be anointed? And would it be from you? I pray that whatever words I have that are from your spirit, that those would stick and the ones that are not worth it uh, would just fade away. 
We pray this in your powerful name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Uh, Today is October 1st, okay? So I hope you all know that. Um, You're welcome if you didn't know that. And today is actually a really, um, honestly, uh, emotional uh, and really significant day for me personally. Uh, One year ago today, um, I woke up in a hospital room with my wife, Elizabeth. We've been married almost uh, 11 years. Uh, We have three kids. We have Duke, who's eight, Scarlett, who's five, Birdie James. She is a year and a half now. And we actually have a fourth on the way um, because we don't care for mental sanity. Like we just, we've done away with it. We're like, we're just going to go for it. So uh, we, we almost have four kids. And we woke up uh, in the hospital room with our little six-month-old girl, Birdie. And uh, we found out she had been diagnosed with a catastrophic form of epilepsy called infantile spasms. Now, um, Infantile spasms is basically this form of seizures that are constantly seizing her brain, um, even if there weren't any physical symptoms. And our neurologist at the time likened it to, likened these seizures to a, a bomb going off in her head 24 hours a day, uh, causing brain damage. And so a year ago, I woke up and I received this diagnosis that our little girl had suffered brain damage from this and that she would potentially be permanently brain damaged. Um, or at best case, she'd be slow to develop. And so my wife and I, obviously, uh, that was some pretty devastating news. And it was a year ago today that my perspective of the world changed pretty drastically, honestly. Um, Things that were really important to me at the time quickly became uh, not so important anymore. Uh, Goals, dreams, future, all that stuff uh, really became fluid in the light of this new reality that our little girl was gonna be different than I had expected and really didn't have a lot of capacity for that. Uh, we live in a world now where uh, she, our little girl, Birdie, is um, slowly developing. She has major delays, and we don't know what the future holds. And um, by God's grace, the infantile spasms, the, that kind of seizure, has actually stopped through like really gnarly medication and destructive medication. But uh, we live in a world now where she still has about 30 or 40 seizures a day, and it's, it's full. And uh, life is really different than I thought it would be. And with this hard year, um, I know for me, I, I had no idea how caring and how gentle and how kind our Heavenly Father was. Like, He became more real to me this year. And so I come to you tonight uh, as a man who's had his faith structures messed with, who has had uh, a lot of my trust structure, structures in, in Jesus shaken uh, this past year um, beyond what I thought was capable. And I come to you tonight with like, honest, rawness, and openness. And I I just want to share from you, uh, with you, from my heart, um, from this obscure passage in Ecclesiastes, because this last year for me has been one of those years where Jesus kind of said, here's what's really going on under the surface, and here's what you need to deal with. And so I I just sensed, as I was a a KC called me and said, hey, what do you think about coming down? I was like, I'd love to, I got to be honest, it's pretty raw, but at the same time, like, this is just what's on my heart. So I hope you're ready to uh, go on this adventure with me. Can we do this together? Yeah? Okay. So Ecclesiastes, I I just really sense that this is what Jesus has for us tonight. So let's do this. Um, So Ecclesiastes, here we go. We're in this book, this fascinating book. It's the Old Testament book. And a couple things I want to point out. Uh, This book was written most likely by King Solomon. And if you look into this book, you find that he's looking into a life without faith. Like if you live in this world without faith, what is that like? And that's what Solomon is talking about in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this passage specifically points out two things, two problems that we as people 
both struggle with and that are meaningless in his words and chasing after the wind. And those two things are envy and greed. Those two things. So King Solomon makes this observation. He tells us here really, when we, when we actually look at life, when we look at all the way that we, we go about life, the hidden part of our human activity, what really sparks our desire to do well or to work hard or to be successful is envy. Now Solomon has this devastating observation that envy and greed are the dominating driving factors in almost all of our efforts, especially in a place like LA. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Yeah, it's a LA's that space. God always goes deeper than the act. He goes to the motive. And Solomon is actually pointing that out. He's pointing out the motive. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what envy and greed are, why envy and greed are so bad, and what Jesus has to say about it, okay? That's what we're going to do. So what exactly is envy? I'm so glad you asked, all right? Definition. Here's the definition. Envy is a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. It's right up there. You can take a picture. You can write it down, whatever works. Now, this can look like being unhappy at other people's happiness, like sins of jealousy over the blessings and achievements of others. Um, Envy also can work in reverse, that when others above you fall down, you like it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They fall down, you're like, yes, one for the team, right? And envy is this like deeply private but destructive form of covetousness. And envy's not alone. Envy has a family. It has cousins, jealousy and greed. And it's been said, greed wants what's in your neighbor's hand. Jealousy wants to be the neighbor. And envy wants to take whatever is in your neighbor's hands out of their hands. Envy is looking at yourself and others in your family or in your friends in an unhealthy way. Now, there's examples of this all over the Bible. If you've read your Bible at all, you know what I'm talking about. You have Cain and Abel. You remember God is more pleased with Abel's sacrifice. Uh, If you crawl inside Cain's head, you can hear, you can literally hear envy talking. You've been robbed. This isn't fair. You deserve better. Abel gets all the breaks. So Cain kills Abel. The crime is murder, but the motive is actually envy. It started deeper than that. You have Joseph, his coat of many colors. He brags about it. His brothers decide to sell him to slave traders out of envy. Uh, You've got a shepherd boy who brings down a giant, you remember, with a slingshot, David and Goliath. And if you've read the Old Testament, there's this song that they talk about, and it says, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. All envy. And Saul, full of envy, literally takes a spear, throws it at throws it at David to try to pin him to the palace wall. He misses. We know the story. You have the older brother stewing out in the backyard while his father hosts this welcome home party for the prodigal son inside. And even Jesus, when we look at the story of Jesus, he was actually handed over because of envy, this crazy, deep-seated sin. Now, if you're a human at one point or another, you have or you will struggle with this sin. This is part of our life, especially this day and age, especially in this culture. And if you've ever wanted someone else's life and instead of rejoicing with them, you weep, that's actually envy. That's what that is. Proverbs 14.30, it's a great verse. It'll be on the screen. It says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body. You know those moments when you have peace, all is well, things are good, you just have life, your face, it's just glowing. But it says here, but envy rots the bones. When envy really gets deep down into our souls, like deep down, it causes us to resent other people's lives, family, friends, anybody around us. Now, something that's really interesting for me and something for us to be aware of is we are most vulnerable to envying those closest to our own gifts and calling. Let me give you an example. Musicians genuinely uh, envy musicians, right? 
Not, they don't usually envy politicians. That's not their deal, right? They're, they don't care. Actors usually envy other actors, athletes, other athletes, professors, other professors, pastors, even other pastors. We envy those that are in our same gift set and calling. Now, something we don't like to talk about, but is increasingly becoming a problem in our society, and because I'm a guest, I'm going to talk about it, uh, is fuel, and this fueling this sin of envy is social media. Now, everyone buckle up. Okay, we're going to go there. Just breathe for a minute. Everyone's like, put your phones away just for a minute. Now, I want to read this, uh, this article. Back in May, Time Magazine put out this really interesting article in regards to social media and how it's actually impacting mental health across the board. Now, some of you are here and you've read this and it's fascinating. If you're not, I'll catch you up really quick. But I just want to read a small portion of you because it's just, it's so fascinating. So it says this, starts out real strong. And I quote, Instagram is the worst social media network for mental health and well-being. According to a recent survey of almost 1,500 teens and young adults, while the photo-based platform got points for self-expression and self-identity, It was also associated with high levels of anxiety, depression, bullying, and FOMO, as known as the fear of missing out. Now, if you're here and you don't know what FOMO was, you should probably have FOMO about the fact that you didn't know what FOMO was, the fear of missing out. It goes on to say, seeing friends constantly on holiday or enjoying nights out can make people feel like they are missing out while others enjoy life. The report states these feelings can promote a compare and despair attitude. Social media posts can also set unrealistic expectations and create feelings of inadequacy and low self-esteem. End of article. Can anybody relate to this? Looking, scrolling through, all of a sudden life's fine and then you see someone else's life and you're like, I'm nothing. (laughs) I'm worthless. They're so pretty. How did they get so thin? Like, You go through this and your world starts to get real dark real fast. It's a real thing. It's a real problem. Now, I'm just sharing one of the studies that I found. I found so many. This this is just one. Now, we have to be aware that there's benefits to social media. Can we agree on that? Like, there's benefits. For example, a couple weeks ago, we had Hurricane Harvey. You all know about it. Social media was used to rescue, uh, to message the rescuers, excuse me, to let them know the location of the stranded families that were there, which resulted in saved lives, which is a great thing. And it is great, but we have to be aware of the dark side. And there is a dark side. And social media is actually a fast track to this sin of envy that I'm pointing out tonight. Take example. Uh, let me give you an example. A young mom has two kids. Any young moms in the room? Raise your hand. Yes, young, yes, young mom. She, I'm going to use you as an example. Okay, young mom has two kids. She's barely hanging on for dear life because raising humans is much more work than anyone realizes. Okay? If you have little humans, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> The house is a mess. The kids are going crazy. She barely has time to like take a shower and get ready. What she has capacity for in that season is to care for her kids and love her husband. And sometimes she doesn't get around to being able to even care for herself. But that's right and that's appropriate in that season. She's got time to care for those around her. So she puts the little ones to bed and she just takes out her phone and she starts scrolling and she goes past a mom with four kids. I mean, that's more kids than I have. And this mom looks like really put together. She's like looking really great. And she goes past like her, her feed. And so she clicks on it and then she opens it up and she sees all these uh, selfies with her husband and her and just bragging about all these ex- extravagant dates they've been going on lately. Like he's the best guy in the world and this, all this stuff. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you start scrolling through her house and her house doesn't even look like kids live in it. It's just like 
so perfectly put together. And the reason you actually came across her feed was because she was announcing her new company making ethically sourced baby clothes from exotic, never before heard of super cottons, right? She's like a pro mom and she's, she doesn't even look tired. Now, how does the mom with two kids feel? Anybody, we can talk here. How does she feel? She's terrible. She feels terrible. She feels like a failure. She feels inadequate. She feels like her capacity is less than this mom with four kids. And she thinks she's inferior because she can't keep up. What is that feeling? That's envy. Now, sometimes it morphs into jealousy, greed, lust, or anger, but the root of it is envy. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is pointing out. Envy, remember, is being unhappy at other people's happiness. But here's the truth. That mom is not better. She just sells it better. She's better at marketing. She knows how to market her life to when she gets ready for once a day or whatever. She, like, she knows when to take the photos. She knows how to do it. The mom with four kids also has a lot of struggles, but we don't get to, to, get to see those. And as a church, we have to be aware of what these innocent apps are doing to our souls or the price that they can pay. Now, personally, I cannot have Instagram, uh, not because someone won't let me, not because someone has banned me from it, uh, but rather because I struggle with envy. And I have found that I am very unhappy, depressed, and aimless when I have my own Instagram account. And I have to tell you, it's really hard to delete your Instagram account. Has anyone tried this? It's not easy. Like, you got to do it. And it's, you got to call people. It's a whole thing. Now, some of you are here. You have the maturity and the ability to try to, uh, to, to be able to use these and not be affected by envy. I would kind of argue that. But some of you are more emotionally healthy than I am. And I would say, great. But we have to be aware of what's going on. And there's this injustice going on in our world right now, which I believe is from the enemy taking advantage of us, in where social media actually becomes a tool for you to question your identity in Christ and to question your worth and your success as a human. And I am here to say that is wrong. That is not right. That's a tool of the enemy. You are amazing. God says you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. You have something to offer. And I don't mean like you're unique, like you're a special snowflake. In one way you are, but like Jesus made you. You are unique. You are special. And we have to be aware of what we are buying into at times, this lie that the enemy would want to speak over our life. So how do you know if you struggle with envy, right? How do you know if this is like a thing for you? Let's ask some questions, a long list of them. This will be fun, okay? Um, Here's the first question. You can write this down or just remember. Uh, It says this. uh, First question, ask yourself this. Do you work extremely hard to come out looking good? These get worse as they go, I promise. Do you examine others with a critical eye? Do you have hidden feelings of inferiority? Everyone else is better, you're terrible, but you don't show that, right? You you show that you're strong. Do you tend to be status conscious? Do you find it hard to pay compliments to others? If anyone, like, I see people nudging each other. Uh, Do you keep score of your own good deeds and those of others? Are you keeping track of those things? Like, hey, you did only so many things for me today. I I did only so many things for you. Oh, this one sucks. Uh, Are you willing to pass along negative rumors about a successful person? It's really willing to do that. Uh, Do you put a false front in order to appear impressive, to to appear more impressive than you are? Do you base your self-image on your performance? Now, this list is not exhaustive, but these are many ways that envy actually gets in and hides itself 
and actually can appear in our life. Now, a lot of us think we don't struggle with this, but when you read this list, you're like, yes, yes, yes. Even studying for this teaching, I was devastatingly convicted again of like, oh my gosh, Lord, like what is this in my life? Now, maybe you're here, you read that list. We read that list and you're like, you know what? I don't really struggle with envy. Great, let's talk about greed, okay? Let's talk about greed. Uh, Greed, what is greed? This is an easy one. A selfish and excessive desire for more of something. Simply, greed is wanting more. Just simple, wanting more. Now, greed is a deadly sin because it destroys our capacity to trust God. And that's, that's really important. It suggests that we can secure ourselves and that we can please ourselves by the possessions of things rather than in an obedient relationship with God. And this is very dangerous. It also destroys our concern for our neighbor. It causes blinding selfishness and narcissism a lot of the times. If you think, well, I make no money, I can't be greedy, uh, this is untrue. You can be, some of the most greedy people are those who don't have a lot or don't have money. Now, greed is basically the gluttony of stuff. Greed is the lust for stuff. Greed is the sloth that becomes the thoughtless consumer. Like, it's Christmas time. We just buy this stuff. This is just what we do. We just, more stuff, more stuff. Uh, Greed is the pride of having stuff. Greed is the envy of those who have stuff. And greed is the anger that believes you have the right to possess stuff. It comes out in all of these sneaky ways. It's simply wanting more. And none of us can say that we've never had that feeling, right? You've had those feelings like, I want more. There's something more here. And you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever gone to like a friend's house? I recently went to a friend's house for dinner and I drive up to the house and it's like a super modern house. People can afford homes in Portland. I should mention that really quick. Yeah. So people can buy houses there. Anyway, that's another, that's another teaching. But so we drive up to the house. It's a super nice house. It's like magazine worthy. And we walk in and there's like all this really great mood lighting. And then like every piece of furniture looks like it was designed for that space. And then there was like candles lit. So like all of my senses were being just completely entrenched. And then all of a sudden, like there's soft Latin jazz in the background. No joke. Someone walks up with a margarita. He's like, how's your day? I'm like, I want this life. I want this life so bad. I want all of this right now. And there was a part of me that just was arrested in this feeling of like, if I don't have a shade of something of this life, my life will be incomplete. It's just not going to be together. What, what is that? That's greed. That's greed coming out of my life and me wanting something and me actually thinking that having this is going to make my life in some way better or fine. But what's, what's the truth? We know that that's not true. But why do we believe that? Why do we often believe that that's true? It's because we're fighting the internal battle of building our own kingdom and accumulating more stuff so we'll be more comfortable. That's what's going on inside. Essentially, we're slowly taking the place of God in our lives. And greed, what it does is it puts the wrong value on temporary things. These things are temporary. They're not for eternal use, but we make them gods. And it treats temporary things as if they will be on earth forever. Uh, You remember in 2008, some of you were like five, so maybe you don't. Um, 2008, it was this crazy time when uh, the market crashed. And they do all this research of like, why did the market crash? What happened? And it all boils down every single person's every study points to the same thing. A small group of men and women were really, really greedy. They wanted more and it destroyed many, millions upon millions upon millions of people's lives. A small group of people wanting more, not knowing when enough was enough. Now, maybe you say, I don't want more stuff. Stuff's not my issue. Well, here's the thing about greed and I have to be honest, this one's gonna be a little painful. Uh, 
greed can also manifest itself as criticism of other people's greed or selfishness. Let me give you an example. Maybe you think to yourself, um, well, if it isn't socially acceptable to crave and grasp and hoard, then what I'm going to do is I'll go around criticizing others who crave and grasp and hoard more obviously than I do. That way people won't suspect how bad I really am. And greed is sneaky like this. You ever, you know what I'm talking about? This has happened to you where other people are being obviously greedy and you're like, how could they be that way? But really internally, you you are greedy. You are having, you're struggling with that yourself too. So how do you know if you're struggling with greed? We've got a list, all right? You ready? Let's ask ourselves some questions, okay? Uh, ask yourself this. Do I view my money and my possessions as, as God's or mine? Money and possessions. Do you really believe that they are yours or God's? Now, we're at church, so don't just fill in the Christian answer like, no, God has control of my money. Like, when you set up your budget, if you budget, you should budget. If you don't, you should. Uh, do you go, uh, Jesus, here's my money. Here's my life. Like, this is yours. What do you want me to do? Don't give the answer that you hope. Be honest with yourself. Where are you at? Ask yourself this. Am I more concerned about making money and having more than I am about my eternal destiny? Ask yourself that. Uh, what is the source of your security, money or God? How much do you mourn the loss for money or things when you lose stuff? Like, is there a deep mourning that goes on? Next, uh, ask yourself, do I cling to my things or am I generous and ready to share? Do I compromise godly character or priorities in pursuit of making money? Now, again, this is not exhaustive, but this is a list that helps us understand the very sneaky and real ways that greed and envy show up in our lives without us even knowing it. Now, we don't have time to go deeper into greed and envy. I think we all get the point. So why are greed and envy so bad? Why are these things so bad? We know that they're, they're wrong, but are they really that bad? You know, we read that, is it that bad? First off, envy and greed are listed as a part of the seven deadly sins. So if you've read that list before, these are listed in it as individual sins. They are the wombs that other sins are born out of, essentially. If you're like me, you read the scriptures and you think, really, envy and greed? Like, it's, I mean, it's mentioned, but it's not that bad. I mean, I'm not killing anybody, right? Well, the Bible says that they are forbidden. They're listed as vile sins and a poisonous fire inside of us that is capable of creating all kinds of evil. So there's that. Envy is deadly because it destroys our capacity to enjoy life. You can't be happy with where you're at. You can't enjoy your own life. We're feeling robbed. We're feeling cheated. We're feeling defrauded when we are suffering from the sin of envy. Now, envy has taken um, over some of your heart so much that you're actually fed up with living a godly life. You're here and you're thinking, I'm disillusioned, I'm angry, I'm angry, and you really think that if you had that person's success, their job, their life, whatever it is, that you would actually be happy. You know it's not true, but, but you've bought into it to that deep of a level, and that's why Jesus warns us over and over again about envy. James chapter 3. That's a wonderful verse. Now, if you had a verse that you put on a coffee cup, this would be your verse. It'd be a very big coffee cup, but this would be a great verse to like find some way to have in your life, in your heart. James 3 verse 13 says this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you find disorder in every evil practice. Every 
A life of envy, excuse me, is a hard life. It's disordered in every way. Every evil practice erupts literally from the sin of envy. So envy is earthly and spiritual. It has demonic tem- tendencies. So, so yes, it's bad. And greed, greed has its own set of problems. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said this. Now, rule of thumb, uh, if Jesus says something, listen. If he says something, do it. So he says here, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. You and I, we are called to actually guard against greed in the same way we are to guard ourselves against the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The Bible lists envy and greed right next to every other form of sin. God makes no distinction. And what I find fascinating, especially in my church in, in Portland, I find fascinating that we in general have, quote, worse sins in the church. You know what I'm talking about? Certain sins are worse than the other. Uh, sins that are not maybe socially acceptable or are socially acceptable. Because everyone like, is really quick to talk about uh, sexual morality, pornography, which is obviously bad, right? Like sleeping with your boyfriend. If you're here and you're, you're, you're not married, you're sleeping together. Like the Bible speaks against that. Why? Because the Bible speaks for marriage. It's so about it. If you're completely entrenched in pornography and it's ruining your life, like Jesus says, it's bad. It's ruining your life. Like don't, don't do it. Like seek help, right? But we often look past greed and envy. We just skip right over them. Now, some of you are here and you're familiar with the idea of the prosperity gospel, right? You've heard it. You know what I'm talking about. And it's the idea that the extravagant wealth and the financial prosperity is our divine right. Like, if you, are, if you know Jesus, this is our divine right. And in the Bible, almost every catalog where sin, uh, sins are mentioned, greed is mentioned and envy is mentioned right along, coupled with sexual morality and every other sin. And if as Christians, like we here today, those who know Jesus, if we saw greed as equal to idolatry and as serious as sexual morality, do you think we'd be okay with the prosperity gospel? Do you think we'd be okay with greed and envy taking over? What about all the people in Houston that just lost all of their homes that love Jesus? Like, does Jesus not love them? Does he not care for them? Jesus cares for us and he cares very much about our life and our righteousness and our holiness. And he wants to show us how to live this way. And greed is becoming socially acceptable in many ways, unfortunately, in our time. So we must put greed and envy in the rightful place. Envy and greed are the sneaky, seemingly socially acceptable sins that are destroying some of your lives and ripping our world apart. So what does Jesus have to say about this problem? Anyone ready for some hope? Anybody ready? Yes. Okay, me too. You're all, some of you are sweating like we made it through. I'm so convicted, right? Don't worry. I am with you. We are all convicted at the same time. What does Jesus have to say about this? Jesus shows up and he brilliantly shares a story to address all this. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. I think it's going to be on the screen. There it is. Jesus says this, and he told them a parable, this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Jesus knows what's up, right? So Jesus uses this example of a rich man planning and preparing to build bigger barns and more stuff, and Jesus just calls it out. He just straight up calls it out. He quickly points out, stuff is not the problem. It's the love of stuff. 
And the love of stuff is a sin because it gets in the way of worshiping God. Jesus said really clearly that it was hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. You remember that story? Jesus talks about that. You have the story of the rich young ruler where Jesus is, is asking, he comes up and he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells this young man, sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor. And the scripture says, and I quote, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. By instructing him to give up his money, Jesus pointed out what was going on. The main problem of this man, the rich young ruler, it was greed. He couldn't let it go. Now, to be clear, it's okay to have stuff. It's okay to have goals. Many of you uh, woke up this morning, you looked in your closet that had lots of clothes, and you decided to get dressed. We all thank you for that. We appreciate that. Thank you for putting clothes on, right? You have more stuff. You have clothes. You have a car. You have a job. It's not bad to have stuff. It is the worship of stuff. Who is really your God? Stuff or success or God? Ask yourself that question. So the rich man, he couldn't follow Jesus because he was following for his love for more. But then Jesus addresses the sin of envy. The next couple of verses, check this out. Luke 12, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. I love this. Consider the ravens. Do they, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very thing, why do you worry about the rest? When we peel back all the layers of greed and envy, they are a form of unbelief. And in this passage, Luke of Luke, Jesus mentions to his listeners really clearly to trust, to believe, to not worry about food and clothes, to realize that they are valuable just the way they are. And what Jesus is really getting at is, do you believe in God? Do you actually believe God is God? Do you actually believe it? Jesus loves you like crazy. He says, stop comparing. To love is actually to stop comparing. When you love somebody, you're not comparing them. That's good news. Jesus loves you. And he's saying, look, Don't get involved in comparing yourself with other people. What I have for them, I have for them. What I have for you is me. Is that enough? Jesus is saying to all of us right now, what I have for you is me. Is that enough? Jesus invites us into this better way of living. Instead of living uh, in this constant envy and greed, Jesus tells us how to live, how to live being fully content with who we are in him, which is beautiful. And there's hope. And here's the hope. We don't have to live in this anymore. So how can we live in a way that puts envy and greed to death in our life? Here's a few thoughts before we go, okay? Couple things. First thought. Number one, accept who God has made you. First thing. Psalm 139 verse 14 says this. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul, the deepest part of you, knows it very well. If you try to be someone else, you will miss out on being you. Now, I know that's common sense for a lot of us, but many of us do not live that way. God made you great. Do you actually believe that? Now, some of you, uh, some of your parents said, man, you can do anything. That wasn't completely true, okay? And, and here's, here's what I mean. Some of you grew up thinking, man, I, I have all these dreams and these goals and these amb- this ambition, and some of that is good, but, but what this is really going to do 
is help you begin to live in your limits. When you start accepting who God has made you, you will also start accepting some of your limits. Some of you are here and you have wanted to be a gold, mental, a gold medal runner for like your whole life. And you're training, you're running, you're doing all the programs, you're just physically going for it every day, you're eating everything you should, you're doing all the workouts. But for whatever reason, God made you like four foot three and your legs will never be long enough to run that fast or that long or whatever. Like you just, it's, you just have to know your limits. Like I had to give up my dream of being a hair model, right? Like that went really quick. I'm just kidding. I did not have that. That was not a real dream. Bald jokes. They go over so well all the time, right? Uh, I saw Casey's hair. What a great haircut, Casey. Um, we all have different gifts, right? And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We have different gifts, and God has made you you. And he has specific gifts that only you can bring and only that you can give. And if you keep living someone else's life, you are going to miss out on not only being yourself, but the blessing that means for all of us. The blessing that means because you're being fully you. Secondly, how do we defeat uh, greed and envy? Bless others. Secondly, bless others. Now, we as a community here, Collective Church, we can actually help one another not live in envy. We can help each other. And we can help each other by blessing one another. Now, an image that might be helpful but also disturbing uh, is the birth of a cow. Let me explain. When a baby calf is born, there's like this certain substance. It's a glue-like substance that is literally all over their bodies when they're born. And I didn't know this until I researched it, and then I image searched it, which was terrible, so please don't do that. Um, But there's this glue-like substance all over their body, and their moms literally have to lick this glue-like substance off their body. And if they don't, they will die. It's literally a life or death situation. Now, I'm sorry if that grosses any of you out. I apologize. But the, the calf needs its mother. It's literally a life or death. And we, as a family, we have this opportunity through blessing others that actually helps them come alive, actually helps them become more of who God has created them to be. Uh, we as humans often walk around with like this certain paralysis of the heart. We, we feel kind of like contained and constricted. And we all feel it. We, we have this sense that we, we lack something important, but we don't know what that is or how we can attain it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? No, I'm the only one? Okay. I feel embarrassed now. Um, we don't realize that we're hungry and we're in need of blessing. We, so f- too few of us have been sufficiently blessed. So many of us have not been properly blessed. Uh, you can remember a time when you when somebody like actually came in and blessed you and said, hey, I, I think you're great. I love who you are. I love how gifted you are in these areas. Do you remember a time when someone's done that for you? Of course you do, because it meant something so massive, because it helped you come alive to who God had already made you. And we have this gift to bless one another and to do that as a community and help our church come alive as we bless one another. We have a responsibility to free one another from this glue-like substance that radically constricts the, the movements of our heart. And we can help each other overcome envy and greed by calling out who God has made us, who we actually are in him. We can't force others to bless us. I've tried. It doesn't work. <laughs> like, hey, honey, I've been working out. Notice anything? Like, nothing. It doesn't go well at all. Not at all. Um, but here's the deal. We can bless others. And in that is our freedom as well as theirs. And we can do that for people. So how do we do this? We practically do this by speaking life over people, telling them what we see. And literally, that means you're going to have to humble yourself enough to say something kind about somebody else. You literally have to take the back seat. Instead of thinking of what you feel and what you want and what you care for in that moment, you literally have to go, I have to stop thinking about that. I have to think about this person and be intentional and, and actually think something through. 
And that's gonna be a process for us, right? But Jesus can help us do that. We speak life. We spend time with other people in community, getting to know them, and then we speak life over them. This means we have to do life with people in community. That's what that means. Thirdly, live generously. How do we combat greed? Live generously. Hebrews 13, 16 says this. We're almost done. And do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased. When we are generous, we put God in his rightful place. We make him God. There's freedom in generosity. And we have an opportunity in a moment to stop controlling and worrying, and we can just give. The Bible's really clear. It says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. If you're like, man, I wish someone would give me 100 bucks, give somebody 100 bucks. That's literally, like people try to like, let's exegesis this verse. That's what it means. It means literally think of something that you would love and do it for another person. The Bible's really clear about this. Buy something for someone else. Help somebody. And you don't have to have money, right, to be generous at all. Some of you are here, you're great at cooking. You're like, I'm just gonna cook my friend a meal and drop it off at their house. Make sure you like call them or text them, leave a note. Like, it's not poison, just eat it. Like, it's, let them know that. Maybe you're here and you're a personal trainer and you're like, I just wanna help people like become healthy. Maybe they don't appreciate it, but you know, you're offering, right? That's good. Maybe you're a nanny and you can offer like to, to watch someone's kid, whatever. You can be generous with whatever God's put in your life. You can be generous. Be thoughtful towards others. Bless them. It's not complicated. The Spirit will help you. And ask the Spirit, like, Jesus, who can I bless? How can I be generous? And here's the deal. Jesus is really interested in this, and he'll give you ideas right away because it's really important to him. He uses us to bless others. Lastly, really quick, choose thankfulness. How do we combat this? We choose thankfulness. Being thankful is a choice. And when we choose to be thankful, it's really hard for us to live envious and greed-filled lives. And I encourage you, make a list. Thank God for all that he's given you. Thank God for the things that you've been complaining about the last couple days. Just start thanking God. Start practicing thankfulness on an hourly basis. And your perspective, your heart will be filled with joy because you realize what God has done, not what you don't have. Not what you're not, but who he is. We serve a generous God. He has given us everything that we need. And the cross proves that. We can never work hard enough or be good enough. He chose to love us regardless. And we get to rejoice and be thankful for that. 1 John 4, 4 says this, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Because of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, we know and believe in the truth. We also have the spirit of God that can help us do this. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You can actually live this way. You're not alone. The Spirit will help you do this. As a community, we can overcome greed and envy with the Spirit's help in our life. Charles Spurgeon said this, the more of heaven there is in our lives, the less of earth we shall covet. Right now, uh, we're gonna move to a time of worship, a time where we get to sing. A time where we literally get to uh, sing songs about God's, God being God in our life. We get to lift our hands and surrender and humble ourselves and put God back on the throne of our life that we have put ourselves on at times. Uh, We have a moment to, to pray for one another, to help each other by affirming and encouraging, but also just bearing one another's burdens. This is a biblical thing. And if you want prayer in just a moment when the music starts, uh, there's gonna be space right on the back wall over to my right and left, just on this, those blank spaces. There's be people that would love to pray for you for anything, anything going on in your life at all. They would love to pray for you. So take advantage of that. Let people come and bear that burden. Jesus calls us to that. 
And then lastly, we're going to take the bread and the cup. We have this great opportunity to celebrate what Jesus did. And when we do this each week, uh, what we get to remember is that Jesus was so incredible in giving his whole life to us. He gave his life that we could experience life. And we do that as a family and we get to remember that together. So at this time right now, we're going we're gonna to pray in just a moment. We're going we're gonna to take a moment in the quiet of our hearts, and we're just going to have some reflective prayer, okay? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a minute in the quietness of our hearts, and if there's anything that, uh, that you feel like the Spirit is, has been speaking to you or has been, even through this time, just putting on your heart, I'd encourage you to write it down. And we're just going to take a minute to, to bow our heads, to close our eyes if that's helpful to you. No pressure to do that, but if that's helpful to you, and just ask Jesus, what do you want to speak to me specifically? What were you trying to say to me tonight? And we want to take a moment to, to not be distracted, but to let the Holy Spirit speak, all right? So let's do that now. Let's take a moment. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to our hearts and our minds.